Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Watcher for our 300th edition of the podcast. Glad you could join us tonight on this beautiful Tuesday night. I am Corey Shrett, and joining me is Mr. Brian Lee. Brian, what's going on? Hey, Corey. Good to be here. Fun to be here. Ah, crazy weekend with Endgame. So we uh, got those. Oh, my God. Endgame, Game of Thrones. Uh, Let's talk about that. You know, what's funny is the, the, the Battle of Winterfell happened last night on HBO. And I think That's it's right. I think HBO planned that poorly because Endgame sucked up everything. I don't know. There's such a loyal fan base that there's there's room for both. Three hundred fifty million dollars. Not really. Not not this weekend. Yeah, I don't know. Well, people can watch it later. Oh, know? yeah. I mean, yeah, but you can't watch Endgame later. It's kind of like you better hurry up now before. So the one of the Russo brothers put this really funny picture on Twitter, and it was the Night King and Thanos like standing in front of each other. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. Yeah, there's a lot of Endgame memes out there. I saw the uh, the the Geico Gecko with uh, with the, the with the uh, glove on, and it says, "Yeah, why should I save fifteen percent when I can save fifty percent?" <laughs> awesome. I was like, nice, nice. The four pictures out of context. Love that. Spoilers. Yeah, the spoiler, the spoilers for the movie, which makes no sense unless you've seen the film. I love it. I'm like, I saw it on Friday before the film. I'm like, I don't understand this. And then I saw it again today in my feet. I'm like, oh. Makes so much more sense. It's so clear. But we got two podcasts out there for that. So if you want to hear the spoiler free or the spoiler filled editions of it, go check them out over at sayproductions.com slash sci-fi watcher. All right. Um. Before we get into the movie, let's talk about some news. You got uh, something about Star Trek Picard. This is exciting. We've been talking about this for a while. The Star Trek Picard show is officially underway today as of April 22nd when this article was written. So first day. um, So one of the production, one of the producers actually posted a picture on Instagram, which has been removed, that said first day. A production so it's underway um and also um there's a lot of people already uh attached to this allison pill henry treadway isa briones evan evan gora santiago cabrera and michelle hurd these people are i i looked them up they're they're all like new people mm. i haven't heard of before so that could be a good thing or a bad thing um, and they also say that, uh, who else here? Hanel Culpepper is, is making the helm of the first two episodes. She's the first woman to helm the launch of a, a new Star Trek series. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And then it also says Jonathan, uh, Frakes is also will be directing, uh, the third and fourth episode. Jonathan Frakes name sounds familiar. Don't know what he does. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's the guy that directs Orville episodes. I know him. Yeah. Yeah. Beard guy. Yeah. Number two. <laughs> <laughs> um, if if I didn't have it already, thanks to my wife, I think this this show will be the would be the reason people will get all access. CBS all access. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'm not a huge Star Trek fan. I enjoy Star Trek. Um, I'm a casual fan of it, but. Like when Discovery came out, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cute, but I don't really care. But I heard this was coming out. I'm like, must watch, period. I don't care. Must watch. Yeah. 
And I, I feel like they, this is in good hands because uh, uh, John Luke Picard uh, is a, you know, a treasured character. And, and I think um, they'll do him justice. What do you think? I think they will. And the fact that he never ages kind of helps. <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's getting older now. He's starting to. He's starting to. Yeah. Um, there's so many theories on how this is going to go. I just... I, I'm hoping it still has it has a next generation feel to it, kind of. Yeah. I don't want I don't want to lose that that sense of uh, nostalgia from the show. Yeah, but it also in the article it says time has passed. It's been 20 years. Um, so how could he possibly be the same person anymore? I'm sure you'll see hints of the old John Luke Picard, but I think you'll see a changed man. Mm-hmm. So now it's 20 years later. So. You, you, you've never watched the end of Voyager yet, have you? No, no, no. But we talked about that in one of the podcasts. Right. So you need, might need to watch the end of Voyager to see if any of that happens in the Picard show. Because we don't have a post-Voyager TV show out there. Everything is, is a reboot or whatever, a prequel or something. We don't have a sequel to Voyager. Voyager is like the last show from the star trek universe in terms of chronology Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering if any things that happened in that finale which you need to watch um will show up in this or if they're just going to be like eh, different universe uh we'll just ignore it it's the other part of the world whatever etc etc yeah i mean um it's interesting to see what they'll do you think we'll have any um and i'm hoping we will have any uh, of the other tng members pop in or something how could you not you know, I mean, Jonathan Frakes is directing the show. It's not that hard for him to get on the other side of the camera, you know? Yeah, I'm sure he'll pop in. I'm sure other characters will pop in, too. That's the whole, you know, magic of this. Mm-hmm. It'll be. How, how I mean, not. I mean, yeah. And of course, since it's in the same, you could also bring DS9 in if you wanted to or maybe Voyager. I don't know. I think this is the way to get those fans back mm-hmm. to watching. Yes, so this is going to be... I have a feeling this is going to be like Star Trek, the next generation, next generation. Yes. That's what it feels like, <laughs> because it's like new new member, new actors that we don't know. It almost feels like it's going to be old school meets new school. Not 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 like passing the gauntlet on, kind of like a Ghostbusters 3 type of idea, or I don't know, I'm trying to think of movies that we, we've seen that where it's passed on to the next generation. I'm thinking it's going to be more like, well, back in my day, this is how we used to do things. And it's like, well, that's this isn't your day, Gramps. This is how... The, the federation runs now yeah because all those characters are those actors that i mentioned they're all a lot younger so they're they're i think they are the next generation mm-hmm. generation yeah that's that's why i said the next generation next generation or whatever you want to call it so but yeah. yeah i'm curious i'm excited i i don't know if you want to i don't care if you want to but i will do it myself i will talk about that show this show on here obviously it's it's penciled in for me to to like review <laughs> They say late 2019, so... Good. Yeah. Good. Hopefully we'll have nothing else going on so we're not watching like 25 shows at once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So speaking of Star Trek, we, uh, we've we known that there's been a plans for a, a kid-centric version of this on Nickelodeon. Well, it, apparently it's going to come true. Uh, reports that Kevin and Dan Hagman, who worked on uh, DreamWorks Troll Hunters film and Lego's Ninjago TV series, is going to develop a CG animated untitled show for Nickelodeon in part of collaboration with CBS. 
They're going to be executive producers alongside uh, Alex Kurtzman, who's done plenty of Trek stuff out there. Uh, the show is going to follow a group of lawless teens wandering the Star Trek universe seeking adventure, meaning, and salvation after they come across their own ship in the form of a derelict Star Starfleet vessel. Okay. Um, uh, that's good that they're trying to reach a younger audience, but I probably won't be watching this. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Nickelodeon is is really aimed for kids. I mean, it's kid-centric. It's not... It's not like Pixar where the kids and the adults can enjoy. It's for the teens, the tweens to enjoy. So, yeah, this is this is a hard pass in, on my my end. But, hey, good luck to them. Is, is Nickelodeon owned by CBS or is it just a partnership, no. you think? Uh, no, I, I believe Nickelodeon is its own company. It used to be part of – I think it was part of Viacom. I'm looking it up now. I think it was part of Viacom. And yeah, Viacom, Viacom was, is owned by CBS. Yeah, it is, it is part of Viacom. But Viacom and CBS, I thought were two different entities. We talked about this, and I forgot what we found out. Well, we, I, I'm looking right now. I do not see CBS as part of it. CBS is its own company. CB, okay, they broke. They broke off. I remember some it's years ago. Partnership, then. Yeah, CBS is CBS. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's not CBS is CBS Corporation. Yeah, it used to be part of it. So there's probably still some some friendship there. And uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to watch it. I'm. I, I, it's just going to be fun for kids, I guess. I mean, I've seen some of the Nickelodeon shows and that's just going to be, yeah, okay. That's cute. Whatever. They're but just the, brand. They're, they're trying to monopolize this, this, uh, franchise. Yeah. Uh, first of all, how, how do you monopolize a franchise you own? Oh, I'm milk, milking the franchise. Milking the franchise. Yeah. I was say, sorry, long <laughs> words there. I own the franchise. I'm monopolizing it. Yes, you are. All right, let's move on to a trailer that you uh, stumbled over this week. Yeah, this was released a couple weeks ago, I think, and it was also shown um, during Endgame, but it's Gemini Man, who uh, it's basically the next Ang Lee property uh, with Will Smith as the lead character. Um, this is Erasure, number two. Yeah, <laughs> I, I called it the Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's Will Smith playing... Fresh Prince Will Smith mm -hmm. and their assassins. <laughs> yeah, he can't kill himself because he's himself. So it's kind of hard to. I mean, I, I mean, it, it looks interesting. I mean, it's coming out on October 11th. So that kind of tells you where in terms of the CG looks really good. I mean, they did a really good job with mocap. Yeah, um, it's funny that the younger Will Smith has a fade like Fresh Prince. I wonder if they took like somehow pulled stuff from there and said, OK, we're going to use 1992 Will Smith type of thing. Yeah, but I think it was really just so you could easily recognize who the younger Will Smith was. Y yeah, that's the thing too. And, and you, you kind of want to make it different. You don't want to have like two of the same. You don't want like twins basically fighting each other. Um, I have a feeling, I, it feels like, spoilers maybe, that they're going to team up together and fight the bad guys. They're going to be the good guys instead of fighting each other. We've done this already and I can't believe Will Smith signed up for it. I, I mean... I will watch it. I'm not going to. The, I may not go to the theaters to see it. But Wasn't this the thing with Erasure? I think so. Or was it another Arnold? It was an Arnold movie where he played his. He was fighting his clone. That wasn't the Seventh Day, was it? Yeah, maybe it was that one. There was one he he fought himself. Well, besides, I the think it was Seventh. Yeah, Six Day, Seventh or, Day. I think. Like, I think it's the Sixth Day. I think you're right. Because after like certain day, you die or some some malarkey. 
It's uh, just we've we've seen this. I know we have. I mean, that's I, I was thinking of Schwarzenegger film too, and I wasn't sure if it was this one. Uh, it was Six Day. It was the Six Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he fights himself. Um, so yeah, that, that's what this is. Um, it's no, I'm not a fan of Will Smith. Will Smith's films have been gradually going downhill. There's nothing exciting. I, about I think him. he's not. He's not picking the right things anymore. You know. Um, he. I guess he turned back. Turned down this latest Men in Black. He also turned out Suicide Squad two. Yeah. Uh, well, he remember he said after he did MI three MIB three, he said he doesn't want to do sequels anymore because well, basically because that sucked. But he's also doing Bad Boys three. So I think that one is probably a smart move. Well, they've been begging for that for a while. But I mean, look at look at the other films he's done. He had what was that stupid film he did with his son? Remember that one where they crashed on yeah. Earth or something? Yeah, that was terrible because that was M Night Shyamalan. Oh yeah, <laughs> Ramalama Ding Dong. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, he's got that stupid film I, we're going to watch eventually. Was it called Bright on Netflix or something like that? Is that what it's I called? enjoyed like, uh, Bright, but um... Will Smith just turns me off now. It's not. This isn't Men in Black One, Independence Day, uh, Bad Boys One. Will Smith. This is Men in Black Three. Will Smith. This is. <laughs> I don't care yeah. anymore. I, yeah, I've. He's also an Aladdin. Oh my god. <sighs> <laughs> that that there's so much wrong with that to begin with i mean they're talking about the blue and that was a paycheck that was 100 percent a paycheck and i'm not a and, and on, on a side note i'm not a fan of disney taking public domain properties making animated films out of it then making live action films out of that just so they can keep their their little thing going you know their little uh yeah. empire going mm-hmm. it's like so so no Let's move on to Joss Whedon here. Uh, he's got a show coming out on HBO called The Nevers. Well, looks like he's got a lead star for his new show. It's apparently going to be Outlander's Laura Donnelly, used to be the, the lead star. Uh, the show is written with uh, Buffy co-writers Jane Ep- Esperson and Doug Petrie. It's about a group of supernatu- supernaturally powered Victorian women tasked at reckoning not just their own strange powers, but a dangerous mission that could change the world. How's that sound to you? <laughs> I've never heard about this until just I read this. I article. mean, it's Josh Whedon, and I will give him a, a, at least a, a try. Mm-hmm. You know, he's done so much. I mean he he made the first Avengers film. He made Buffy. He made a bunch of other shows. He made Firefly. So I mean, I would at least give it a try. I know, and HBO right now needs to come out with something because Game of Thrones is almost over. So they need that next big thing to lure people in. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. If it wasn't J.J. Abrams, I would say a hard pass on this. J.J. Abrams. Uh, Josh, Josh Whedon. Whedon. The same, <laughs> the same guy. You know. it's, oh, yeah. yeah. I, you can interchange them. They're the same person. Okay. But <laughs> Josh Whedon. All right. So Josh, but if it wasn't Josh Whedon's name on this, I would be a hard pass. I'm like, yeah, sounds stupid. Let it go. Yeah. Uh, one film we're going to talk about eventually on this show, A Clockwork Orange. Uh, the original was written by Anthony Burgess. Um and when he passed away in 1993, his home in Italy was basically just abandoned and whatever. And they finally boxed up all his stuff and have been going through it. And they found an unfinished sequel called The Clockwork Condition. It's got about 200 typewritten pages and several handwritten notes on it. And um, I have a feeling we're going to see this come out in some way, shape or form very soon. 
Well, it depends on his, uh, what do you call it? His, what do you call the estate? The, like, the custody, his estate, if oh. they'll allow it, right? Mm-hmm. I think they will. I guess if there's a paycheck coming, they'll allow it. Um, I, I've never read, I've never seen the movie either. I've never read the book. Um, but the thing is, though, obviously you're going to want to make a movie once you make a book out of this. And the thing is, Stanley Kubrick made the original, and I don't think you could even try to come close. Even if the book was better than the original book, make a movie. Because Kubrick had a certain style that is very difficult to replicate. Oh, yeah. I mean, he if you read um, The Shining and mm-hmm. then you watch the movie, they're polar opposites. There, There's some connective tissue, but he changes things whenever he gets a hold of them. Oh, yeah. He does, definitely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is interesting. I love stuff like this, basically lost episodes of <laughs> things we never knew existed in the first place. It's it's going to be interesting to see because this is going to come out some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a feeling the estate's going to bless somebody to finish writing this. You know, they're going to take the notes and they're going to try to do the best they can to recreate what Anthony Burgess was working on. Yeah, I mean, I'll take a look at it. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's going to take somebody that's very creative, somebody outside that thinks outside the box. I think you need somebody that also is not only a professional writer, but also a fan of Anthony Burgess too. I think you need someone who knows his style, knows how he, he writes because you don't want to be like, Oh, well I like this. Let me write it my way. Then you, you could change the whole tone of it. Um, the person I would pick for this, if it were me would be the guy who, uh, reinvented the Fargo TV show. Ooh, um, and I'm trying to look him up frantically cause I forgot his name. That's a good idea. Uh, Noah something, but, uh, he's very inventive. Let me find him. Cause I feel terrible that I don't have his name. Um, or the Cohen brothers could also do it, but I mean, I, I think no, the, I, this I, guy is, is darker, you know? Yeah. Did you watch the the Fargo show? I love the Fargo show. That is just I've seen the movie, of course, and then I see the show, and I'm like, how in the heck? Noah Hawley. Sorry, Noah Hawley. I wondered how the heck they did that. It's just because that show it just grabs you. It's like, wow, I can't believe we went back to the Coens world again. Yeah, and he also did Legion. I don't know if you watch Legion on FX, but yeah, I couldn't get into it. I'm sorry. I did one season and I was out. But he has that kind of mind, and I think he could eat this up. I will give you that. If he could do Legion, which is very a weird show, it wasn't for me. A lot of people loved it. I could see him doing this. Mm-hmm. Me too. All right, one last story. Let's talk about the Orville once again. Yeah, this was a story on Variety, and it's just talking about the success of the Orville and what what's attributed to that excess success. Um, and it's it's stuff we've talked about, you know, in our reviews, allegorical stories, social issues. A lot of that is kind of like hitting an accord with people now. Um, and and Seth MacFarlane has said, you know, he he did the Family Guy Star Wars parody. I didn't want to do that over again. I want to do something serious, world building, develop characters you really cared about, create some real stakes. And it said at first, you know, he kind of like stumbled a little bit, you know, in the first season. Um, second season, we kind of talked about this. It kind of ramped up. Um, and it's just more of more of what's what made this a success. 
right now seasons two season two is averaging 3.25 million uh viewers in the 18 to 49 demographic um you know the show has shed light from social issues um particularly the identity story we talked about that uh what do you think about this it's true it nails it right on the head i mean because we've talked about it. every episode we talk about it, we always go oh yeah it relates to something in present day you know mm-hmm. we've mentioned stuff like oh this is like facebook or social media and uh, i can't think of other examples off the top of my head but we've literally i mean it's blatantly obvious to us without them throwing it in your face saying this is what we're talking about here yeah and this hasn't it hasn't been renewed yet but i have a feeling it's still going to be renewed um i i offline i gave Corey a story and uh basically um he his contract with fox is coming up in a month mm-hmm. and this might be ammunition i don't know he's like hey if you don't pick me back up i could go to another network you know yeah but if they own the show that's no his contract it all his shows can go with him he could go to another network and bring in all his shows Mm. that could hurt but i don't i don't see that happening i don't i mean he's been there not not that disney owns fox i think that he really doesn't have much where to go (laughs) yeah where are you gonna go gonna go to cbs i don't think so i mean yeah but in all honesty, he's been. But here's the thing: we said this before. Disney, when Disney buys something, they just sit there and watch it. They're like, "Okay, you're working fine on your own. Have fun, do your thing." Has Marvel changed at all since they bought Marvel? Well, they they said that um, May 13th is called the upfronts, and that's where uh, you know all the networks present themselves to advertisers. And they said they're probably going to make an announcement then. Who knows? It's coming back. I can't see Seth MacFarlane leaving. He's been on the network since the end of last century. So, yeah, but he could be not renewed for the Orville, but renewed for all the other shows. Yeah, but I don't think they'll do that. Yeah, I don't think they will. If the ratings are decent enough, they'll keep it going. I think that's going to be one of those. They'll keep doing it if the ratings are good or if he wants to quit, whichever, you know, whichever happens first. Or he could he could be part of a streaming service. We talked about that off the show. Mm-hmm. I don't think it will though. I don't think it would do good on a streaming service. No, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's a good Fox show. It's it's a Seth MacFarlane esque show. And honestly, let's just leave it there because it's easier on on Thursday nights for us to watch. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on to the movie of the week. Let's do it. Put that back in your freaking head. How's that? <laughs> Sound like an Atari. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't that pretty cool? Uh, yeah. The joys of Google. All right. We're talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Came out November 16th, 1977. Written directed by Steven St- Spielberg, starring Richard Dreyfus, Terry Garr, Melinda Dillon, Francois Truffaut, and lots of others running at 135 minutes. Now, Brian, you have never seen this film before. Well, I have now. Well, okay, before <laughs> before before this week's episode, barely, you've never seen this before. You mentioned you've never seen Close Encounter. I had never seen it. I don't know. I just it never came into my view. My parents weren't really into sci-fi. They were all religious. You well, know? and we're not much difference in age, but you were barely born when it came out, so you never could yeah. have experienced it at the movie theater. 
it was on TV a lot in the early eighties. I remember seeing it, in the, but see, the problem is now is this, this is one of those films that just falls through the cracks that unless you go looking for it, you're not going to find it. Yeah. I saw ET. They let me see ET, but they never told me about this movie, which is surprising. Cause this, this is, you know, I mean, this led us into ET. If it wasn't for this, there would be no ET. I think, E.T. was more cute, though. This is more adult. It is. It's a slow burn. It's a slow yeah. burn. I mean, we're two, what, two hours and 15 minutes into this film, and it's it's a slow burn. And, it was, yeah. And, of course, Steven Spielberg's coming off of Jaws with Richard Dreyfuss also in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you his name is huge at this point in, in terms of Hollywood. That's right. So, all right, what, what are your initial thoughts on this this film? It was slow. <laughs> it's yeah. a slow movie. Well, it's the 70s for you. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it was it was different. Um, it took a while to get up to speed with the whole aliens part of it. You know, and, a lot of. And it wasn't even like an alien invasion or anything like that. It was like literally 90% of the film is just there's no aliens. It's like lights in the sky and let's let's try to figure out what's going on. and. A lot of conspiracy stuff, a lot of government stuff. You the, know? the original script he he actually had at one point for this was to make it like a government cover-up, a big conspiracy thing, which was more than it was in this film. It was halfway that, you know, yeah. towards the end, it was a government cover-up. Uh-huh. Um, it took me a while to figure out what was going on because, you know, you have some mixed scenes. Like the very beginning – Um, I guess the very beginning was exciting. I take it back. It was exciting because – you're in this dust storm, you know, you don't know what's going on. Nothing is explained. No. People are just talking. Exactly. They're like, where is it? Where's the th- whatever, you know? Oh, do you speak English? You know? And mm-hmm. then we have this interpreter. You see the planes. I assume the planes were old. They kind of just said, yeah, the planes were from the 1945. They talked to this crazy guy, you know? If I was watching the 70s, I would be blown away. But the fact also they're from 1945, they still have fuel and they still run. They still run. Everything is perfect. Which you know? which means that they – obviously these these planes are still quote-unquote brand new even though they're 30 plus years old. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. got, they don't tell you that but you, you kind of like have to put two and two together. I read between the lines. I could get it. Yeah, I mean yeah. And then we have um, the whole air traffic control thing too. The air traffic control was kind of interesting. <laughs> it was hard to understand what was going on because they were so – I like that they made it more true to life of what an air traffic control would be. They're talking their own language. You don't understand what's going on, but I like that. Uh-huh. You weren't like spoon-fed, but you knew, okay, they were probably seeing a UFO. I liked how they said like, oh, are you going to put in a report that you saw a UFO? And he's like – I don't know what I saw, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the Richard Dreyfus storyline that made me almost lose my mind. I was right there with Richard Dreyfus, you know. <laughs> he was going crazy, and I felt like I was going crazy watching him, you know. Yeah, the whole. I mean, the most famous scene from this film to me is the mashed potato scene mashed potato scene when he broke down you know yeah now have you seen i've seen that spoofed many times have you ever seen that mashed potato scene spoofed before because i've seen it spoofed 
No, you have to remind me. Okay, I don't know. I, I don't remember what I've seen, but I have seen oh. other places where they're doing the whole let's build something up with it, and it's like, okay, I know where you're getting that from. Um, yeah, and the whole like he got sunburned when the aliens flew by, mm-hmm. and like the, the the other lady, um, I guess Terry Gar or Melinda, uh, Melinda, Terry Gar's his wife. Yeah, Melinda Dillon mm-hmm. getting sunburned and little baby getting sunburned. You know. Yep. That was that was interesting. Um, it's funny how he only got it on half of his face because his face was halfway out the window. I thought right? that was funny. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, but then it, it it was like it took a while to get back up again, up to speed. You know, the little spurts when they went to the government and they were like talking their thing. Um, that whole India scene baffled me when they were like chanting and stuff. Did you know what was going on when you first? It, it's something I, I don't understand how they got this, but it's the notes that somehow they're sending these notes or something, and I don't know where these notes came from. How they, you know, put this all together? Well, they pointed up at the sky, but then they had the hand signals. I'm like, where did the hand signals come from? Yeah, that was weird, but it, but it was interesting too. But that's based on science. The notes it, there's, and I looked it up, and I can't remember the name of it. But that's based on science using like certain notes to communicate. Okay. Makes sense. Kind of like a universal language, I guess. Music is universal, so I guess that's how they 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 went that route with it. Kind of like bi- the way binary and mm-hmm. math is universal. You know? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, but this is also kind of like a horror movie when you think about it. Like that scene when um, Melinda's son is being... Barry. Yeah. He's being okay. drug out of house. I mm-hmm. was thinking like Ghostbusters a little bit, you know? Yeah, but not in a good way. Yeah, no, when those clouds start coming in, you know? And even like the the, the vent on the floor was unscrewing itself. Yeah, it had a horror movie vibe. If I mm-hmm. was watching the semis, I would be like crapping my pants. Mm-hmm. You know? It is, that that is the scary part of this whole film. And then the kid's dragged out and he's gone. Yeah. So, yeah. Alien abduction mm-hmm. before alien you know um but the the rest of the movie is just richard dreyfus going into crazy town the whole thing with him building that huge clay um sculpture the mountain or whatever and he's in the yard pulling all the bushes out and getting the the, the fencing and stuff from everyone's houses i really wanted to fast forward that scene it, I was, it was like gnawing at me man it was very unco- i was very uncomfortable watching that yeah, his wife just leaves him. Yeah, you know. it's yeah, that just was very bizarre. And the neighbors just look at him like, what in the heck? And, yeah. But, but it was gnawing at him. He had to make this this thing. This this shape kept showing up in his mind. Yeah, but once he made it, he didn't stop. No. Because it wasn't it wasn't clicking yet. Yeah. Until he pulled the top part of it off. And then it's like, huh. And then, of course, that scene where they're showing um, because earlier in the film, you got the guy who was a cartographer before, which he even said it before at that point. That's the translator. And those numbers keep coming up. He's like, these are coordinates. And they get the that huge globe out. I think that was extreme. That was a little extreme. It was. But then they I'm get like, the map. Oh, you need the globe to do that. <laughs> and then they get all the way to, to figure out it's in Wyoming. And then we fast forward and then like, okay, we need to do something to get everyone out of the area. And Richard Dreyfus is on the phone. And you could see it on the screen. You're like, dude, that's the place. Turn around. Look. <laughs> like, I was getting yeah. frustrated. It's like, hurry up. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, all that build up to get him over there to the Devil's Devil's Tower, right? Yeah, Devil's Tower. Um, that was crazy. The whole government thing, all the government there with gas masks and everyone's leaving, you know, mm-hmm. except him and and her. And apparently a bunch of other people from across the world were trying to get there. Yeah, there was like 12 of them or something like that that had gotten so yeah made it inside the area mm-hmm. um i i thought it was smart. i didn't realize this this was the first time i realized that well all the animals are quote-unquote dead on the side of the road and the like, government killed them did they kill them because the birds were also dead too i thought it was like the sleeping gas oh but they didn't call them the sleeping gas until later that was like a remember the general called it in and said if they're not gone by 2100 hours but I, I almost wondered if they had bombarded the area with it to to put anybody asleep beforehand, because they they had I their think masks. They, they literally killed killed animals. See, I wasn't sure. I mean, I took I it. Know. I interpreted it to that sleeping gas stuff that they might have dropped earlier, because the 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 guy and the girl had the masks on, and the, obviously the birds didn't, and then they found the birds dead. So maybe, maybe I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, they did they leave it open for you. The yeah. government government's bad, no matter how you look at it. <laughs> in this film, mm-hmm. um, what else here? So, I mean, the 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 final act is you know at the Devil's Tower, and um, you know all the government people are there. They're ra- they've got, they're got their battle stations or whatever. Mm-hmm. They got the guy on the keyboard that was cool. Oh yeah, Make, making the tones. They got the Frenchie there. <laughs> um. French leader. I don't know. Yeah, everybody's there. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we get the light show. You know? Oh, yeah. The light, it's basically a light and music show. Um, John Williams did an awesome job with this. John Williams laser show, basically. Yeah. I mean, it, it was kind of cute and corny a little bit. I think, time. first of all, I think it was very challenging because he was t- – the whole note thing he was trying to do it and he could do it with seven notes but they wanted five because seven was too long and it took really? him, it yeah it took him a long time he came up with like what thirteen thousand combinations and he had to whittle it down to these five notes that we all know i didn't know about all this backstory okay yeah it wasn't just oh yeah here here you go here's your notes have a nice day no it took a lot of work for him to do that i mean you know i think it would be easier for him to compose the musical score as compared to actually just coming up with five notes that sound good yeah um what do you think happened when okay the first time around the the ships come in and they start just hovering there and they're playing the notes and they leave and the big huge mothership shows up what do you think the first one first set were doing they might have been just like the the scouts to make sure the area is good is safe or whatever they're not going to get hurt i guess yeah because we see the little ship we see little ships flying around throughout the whole film Every time I see those ships, though, I think of batteries not included. It does remind me of that. By the way, I'm like, who did batteries not included? Who did batteries not included? Was it Spielberg? I'm gonna say yes. I'm looking it up now. I believe batteries not included is a Steven Spielberg film. I don't know, but that been a little too on the nose. I think it is, to be honest with you. I believe so. no, it was not Matthew Robbins. Oh, son of a! What the heck film did he? I swear that was Steven Spielberg. Spielberg gets some other film, maybe. Uh, I don't. It, it just has that same look, the same it, way they made those those 
aliens. It does. It feel it feels like they kind of they kind of stole them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what because when those three ships first show up, their lights kind of look like a smile. Uh huh. You notice that? Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's a little cheesy. Um, and then when the mothership shows up, they have like a little ba- uh, music battle between the two. I didn't understand the whole point of that. Maybe it was just a way ah. of communicating. Batteries not included, done by Amblin Entertainment. Okay, fine. There you go. I was like, there's got to be some connection to them. Executive producer. So what were they doing when the, the, the mothership and the keyboard guy were, you know, they were communicating at that point? Basically. Because it says like they were – they said – the guys in the background said they're establishing a language or something like that. Yeah, I didn't understand that either. I guess we had to try to figure out what they were saying with the music. But it was kind of weird how it's like, oh, yeah, they're playing something. We're playing something. And all of a sudden you guys are like synced up playing different notes to each other. I'm like, how did you do that? So I, was I was lost. I was too. Lost. It felt like they were talking to each other. But it's like, how did you learn a language so quickly with music? Well, he let go of the keyboard, and the keyboard was playing by itself. Yeah, I think the aliens had taken over or something. They were just talking to themselves, I guess, at that point. They're like, okay, we, we get it. You just stand on back. We got it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I, I did not expect that all those people they collected from across time would show up. That was kind of cool. Yeah, we've seen it since then but yeah of course obviously we had the plane and that ship in the desert so these people are gonna you know where were they they were being probed (laughs) (laughs) i mean i mean and then we get to see the aliens and they're your stereotypical i call them grays which they look like the the, you know the big head with the big bug eyes Mm -hmm. they were that i think that was in terms of special effects probably the weakest part of the whole film i mean because there were physical special effects was the actual alien itself yeah, that looked very rigid and very staccato the way it was moving. Mm-hmm. And before that, they were just kids with a head on, right? A big head on, right? But they could have just did that. They could have just kept it a kid with a head on. But uh-huh. then they used an animatronic that looked. It took. I was like, "What?" Yeah, yeah. It 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 was a little the way it was blinking and moving. I'm like, "No, you kind of lost." They couldn't me. have done with it. They could have just put a kid in there. Yeah, you know? but all because all the other special effects still hold up today. All, the whole alien ships flying around and whatnot. Yeah, the one thing I, I wanted to mention that was really cool is that the government was very accepting of the aliens. Mm-hmm. Whereas nowadays, if you did the same exact storyline, you'd have a government that is like, "Oh no, it's hostile. This is a hostile alien force. We got to be." You'd have guys in guns, hmm, you know, like ET. But this was okay. There you go, ET. <laughs> but this one, they were like, "There's no guns." They had, but it didn't seem know, like but, on top of uh, of the tower. They were more scientists up there. The military were like on the bottom, trying to keep everybody away. It felt like, yeah, but you did not see guys in the front lines, no, pointing guns at the ship. But I think if you did the same story today, you would see it. Yeah, it would be the other way around. Which was kind of nice. Uh-huh. I liked it. Um, and then Richard Dreyfus goes up there, and I didn't expect him to be selected. Yeah. Um, 
it's just funny. Those other people in red suits were none of those people selected. It was just Richard Dreyfus. It was that's what it seems like. It they're like, uh, we'll take that guy. Yeah. And uh, before that, though, the French guy was like, I envy you, uh-huh. you know? And I didn't understand at that what he was saying. And I guess he he knew that Richard Dreyfus was going to get picked, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And I think it was kind of weird. I almost felt like Richard Dreyfus and, uh, and I wish I had her name, but the, the, the um, Melinda Dillon character, I th- almost felt like they were going to get together at one point. Well, they kissed. Yeah. And I was like, what? He's married still. What's up with that? And it's funny. Yeah, he's married and has kids. And he's like, I'm going to leave Earth. Bye. I'm like, "Um, don't you remember? Even though they left you, you still have a family. (laughs) I think it was a kind of like kindred spirits moment. You know, Mm -hmm. they're doing the same thing. I don't know. Yeah, it was a little weird. And of course, Barry shows up out of the ship, too. Hi, mommy. Bye, aliens. Like, okay. Yeah. And that, that was really all there was, you know? I mean, it was a lot of buildup for the last, what, 15 minutes of of, mm-hmm. the, of the aliens. And it wasn't even that much aliens in the last 15 minutes. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was pretty. It was cool. And then you got to see the mothership fly off as the credits rolled. Uh-huh. Um, it looked pretty cool. The effects looked pretty cool for the time. Nowadays, that would be laughable. But yeah, I, I, I mean, back then, I'm sure that was amazing. Oh yeah, it definitely was. I mean, just for the score, the score alone. Well, John Williams. I mean, it's John Williams. Genius. I mean, he really is. I mean, everything he touches is just pretty pretty freaking amazing. Mhm. You know, um it's funny, I was reading somewhere that um uh, Steven Spielberg made this film and he didn't think it was going to do good. And he made a bet with another guy who had a film coming out in 1977 called uh, George Lucas, who had a film called Star Wars. And before yeah. both films came out, they made a bet and they said, um, you know, whichever film does, you know, we're, uh, better, you know, we're going to do so bad. I'll give you 2% of my box office. You can give me 2% of your box office. So we'll see whoever does the worst film. <laughs> Uh, apparently Steven Spielberg went on that bet because uh, Star Wars like took blew everything out of the water that year. Yeah. Well, maybe they kind of egged each other on like that and then may- they had better films because of it. Mm-hmm. But it's you 1977, know? really. Think about what space films were there. I mean, science. There was 2001. That was in the you know? 60s. But we, you mean, yeah. there's really not much in terms. And you've got, you know, two films that have, I mean, these are, I mean, Close Encounters still holds up today in terms of the special effects and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There really isn't a lot special effects wise, just the few passes of the aliens and mm-hmm. the end, the last 15 minutes, like you said. Right. But it's just, an, it's, it doesn't, he doesn't take you out of the film going, oh God, those are horrible. Yeah. I think they were tastefully done. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go through this uh, thing we usually try to go through the overview here what's what was your favorite scenes or scene or whatever um favorite scenes was really the ending uh-huh. um everything else was a build-up um there were probably maybe that scene when richard dreyfus was being lifted off from the ground or whatever his truck being lifted up right that's a great um, but I love it, that. yeah everything else was just kind of okay no. I still like the mashed potato scene. That's still a classic in my mind. It's I haven't seen this film in like 20 years. So it's just like, oh my God. The mashed potato scene, it was okay. But I I think the sci-fi 
elements were better. I, I, I oh, definitely. Um, what about uh, any any cringeworthy scenes, worst scenes in this film? Um, the whole gas mask things where people are like, where, where they were faking the gas masks. Uh-huh. I you saw the guys take them off and. Yeah, I, I think the one part that I thought was hokey was when they were when when all those people were out there uh, by the road waiting for the ship to come by and the helicopters came by and the one guy puts a sign up and says something like be friendly or whatever. It's like, yeah, I saw that. Like, yeah. Oh God, no, that's that's stupid. That's hokey. Be friendly. Yeah. Uh, any 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 great sci-fi elements to this? Um, I think the the talking back and forth when they were doing the the, the musical notes. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a cool element and it made sense sci-fi wise. And any, any, any cringeworthy sci-fi in this for you? The alien doing the hand movements. That was a puppet. That was just terrible. <laughs> that was, that, yeah. It's the seventies though. That's the problem is we need to, they didn't need it. They could have used a kid with a big helmet on. <laughs> it would look more natural. Oh, I agree. I agree. It would have been more natural. But yeah, so uh, it's uh, yeah. It, what do you, I mean? In scale of one to ten, how would you rate this this film? Um, I would give it a seven point five. Yeah, it's it, it's it's an eight in my book. It's not something you need to watch a lot, but it's something that still holds up, and I think everyone should see it at least once. And and you know why yeah. they you know why they call it close encounters of the third kind, right? No, school me. Okay. Right. So there's there's three types of encounter. First kind the first kind of encounter is uh visual sightings of UFOs. Oh, gotcha. The second is um a UFO event which is physic which is physically alleged to happen. Animals reacting, psychological effects, phys- physiological effects, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. And third kind is first contact. Okay. So that's what this is. This is basically first contact. There's another movie that we should review. First, first contact. contact. <laughs> but yeah, that's what this, that, and they don't mention it that at all in the film, why it's called close encounters of the third kind. No, I guess it, they want you to figure that out on your own. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, they couldn't have Wikipedia in 77 to look stuff like that up. <laughs> Encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah, that's I guess if it's in there, yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah. All right, so we have done it. We you can mark that movie off of your list of films you've never seen before. Sci-fi bucket list. Yep. Boom. Done. Done. All right, I want to thank you for being here tonight, Brian. And where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram. Just look for Brian says. And you can always find us at sayproductions.com slash sci-fi watcher. That's where all 300 episodes of this podcast reside at. We did a lot this week. Um, check out our Sunday editions of Avengers Endgame, the alien shorts we've done. Wednesday, we have the Orville season finale, the latest Twilight Zone episode. Thursday is Rick and Morty. We're playing catch up on that. We got a lot, of, ton of stuff this week. Check it all yeah, out. Check it out. Sayproductions.com slash sci-fi watcher. And of course, you can always email us anytime, day or night, sci-fi watcher at sayproductions.com. Drop us a voicemail at 774-327-2948-774-32. Say it. If you want to join us live, watch us live on Monday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time. That's 12 midnight UTC. It's at sayproductions.com slash YouTube. That's it for this special, this not special, this normal Tuesday edition of the podcast. And until next time, have a great one.